Okay. Office hours 43, three musketeers. Uh, very exciting times though. Uh, Matt's just not here today, but uh, another person will uh, be joining us. Perhaps she will even be uh, joining these calls. Um, maybe we'll give her a break on the first one. This is a lot to, uh, you know, uh, come into. Um, but, you know, very, very exciting time for us and um, bringing another developer on the team who's talented uh, and, you know, I've had uh, calls with her and just a very exciting time for us as a whole. And it's been an interesting week. Um, you know, Nihal, you're here. Sometimes you're here not. Uh, you're you're going to fight through this internet connection um, that plagues you right now. But uh, Laura and I will be here nodding away. This is Office Hours 43. We get together around 12 p.m. It's a little bit past that. We're going to do a little bit of discussion every week with the team, chat about what's going on, what did we learn this week, uh, what, what's coming up, and, you know, how could we continue to improve. Um, so hopefully, as we do that, you guys learn some things along the way and uh, we all, all grow together. So uh, without further ado, I'm Tyler, uh, CEO of Speak AI. Um, you know, sort of did a reflection on that conference last week and I still haven't had too much time to process it, but really grateful for some connections to be made and also for people to see the value of the work uh, that we're doing. And again, passion about language, data visualization, and what can we learn from the conversations that we're having? Uh, I'm Lauren, I'm the accountant and admin and miscellaneous and uh happy here to be here and talk about this uh, fun week we have and the next week is going to be even better hey everyone uh, Niho, uh digital strategist here at speak working on everything from the website to communications to um you know miscellaneous at times as well so uh, and just okay. sipping away at my little homemade mocha for now there it goes <laughs> all right i uh I, you know, I've, I fall in love with chai tea. Actually, I'm not supposed to call it chai tea because I'm saying TP twice. I should have said that. I'm embarrassed. Cut that out. Someone cut that out. Um, uh, but uh, we're going to get a dog and uh, I want to name it chai. Um, but I also think not good for my addiction to chai now, you know, to have this trigger at all times to just be repeating in my life. So, uh, but anyways, uh, Let's start, I guess, just, you know, don't have to spend too much time lingering on this topic, but, you know, Lauren, I know you brought this up and we're sort of asking about, you know, uh, hiring process here. You know, we've gone through this a couple of times now, but still a small team growing and trying to figure out this, you know, how to do this better every time. And you're hiring for different departments, different types of people. So I guess just any thoughts on that, what you're hoping to discuss today and what you're hoping to improve based on, you know, what we just went through over the last week and a little bit. Uh, the process for like hiring, you mean? Uh, um, I think that you really have to be like the person, um, the person who's like doing all the interviewing, all the hiring kind of has to be the one who's, uh, like the supervisor of the role to begin with. I feel like you have a lot more, um, a lot better questions you can ask too. Uh, I think I was just asking very, um, basic administrative kind of questions and, uh, maybe it wasn't all that helpful, but maybe it was a good way of just, uh, opening up a bit more and opening up the, uh, the applicant and seeing, you know, what they would have to say, given their circumstance. But still, I'd like the end of the day is like, when something like, when it's like a role that's so technical and it's uh, like, that's pretty much all you're working on really. Um, I feel like the technical interview is a lot more important. And um, uh, so maybe it's like a matter of uh, like someone who's not in a technical role, learning like all the questions that you should be asking like a technical person um, and being able to like um, understand like an answer and understand 
what to do with that answer, I suppose. I think when it comes to a lot of organizations too, right? Normally the screening process is done by like a recruiter or generic hiring manager or just HR person. And then it's usually carried over into, okay, we'll bring on like a technical lead or a, a immediate hiring manager. Yeah. Um, that takes on, I guess, to your point, you know, the more technical questions, um, diving deeper into their skill sets and possibly giving them a test of some kind. Um, but I, I do think the initial screening is very important because e even as just a member of the team, I feel like you can get a sense of what a person communicates like, um, you know, would they fit within, I guess, the existing way we work? Uh, I, I don't like using like culture, right? Because I feel like that's a very toxic term sometimes. <laughs> um, just working with the team as is. Yeah. Yeah. I find that process to be a bit slow though like i think that makes mm. sense for like a larger company who actually has like an hr specialist but for us we kind of have to get a good feel of them right away and hire right away and train them right away and uh, i think that's um like from what i was doing it took like a month of just doing like a bunch of just a bunch of different people but then it seemed like it only took that so like a week and a half to find like the right person for the role um and i think like also bringing them into like a group um like a group uh interview on the onset is a great way for everybody to like kind of vibe them out at least maybe not really get a good impression on uh like their skill set but mostly like their uh the how well they could fit into like a small team too because small teams is a bit more uh intimate and uh requires a lot more uh um uh, confidence in each other i guess i was very happy to see actually i mean i you know the the process that you went through interviewing these people and for context, you know, basically we were hiring the developer, Vatsal sets, we get a bunch of applicants, Vatsal sets up Lauren to do the initial interview. And in that, I think it's really important to think that this is often, besides the job posting, someone's first interaction with SpeakAI as a company. So it sets, uh, you know, like your impression, Lauren, it probably will always be you, but that is a really important thing if we're trying to recruit you know, highly talented people to our team. Like, did the person who I first interviewed, were they energetic? Were they excited? You know, did they, uh, you know, share the values of, of speak? And then um, did that make me excited to want to join the team? So I think that that was one part that was, you know, became clear, especially if it's like, you know, like when you're, if you're a developer and you meet Vatsal, you're going to be excited because he's like extremely technical, um, you know, really smart. And he's just sort of an inspiring to, person to be around. Not that you aren't, but like in the, in the, in the development capacity specifically, that that's a huge plus with, with Vatsal on the team. And the other part that I really liked was like, we actually used speak to help with the process. So like, you know, you did the interview, record the interviews, dump them into speak, Vatsal reviews the calls. And maybe it feels like you didn't contribute that much to the process, but you actually help that sort of filter people out, you know, very quickly um, through that and speak help that even for him to look for the answers that were most important for him to make decisions on who to bring in and continue interviews or, or who to filter out. So I definitely think, you know, there's always opportunities to refine, but I agree with, I, I'm happy with how the process turned out. I'm happy with the person that's going to be joining our team. And uh, again, like what you said last is just like bringing them into like a group call where you all just get to ask questions and you can feel the confidence. And the one part that maybe now is a trick, would trick me, but like anytime someone person, I realize like anytime someone tells me they're curious, I'm like, ah, I just, I, that's it. That's like, that's the, you know, like that, that takes you so far. Um, so uh, the ambition and curiosity is a huge driver of why we've made it anywhere to date. 
And anyone who has at least the base foundational skills, but the curiosity and passion around something, you can make, they can do a lot of stuff. So that was another sort of good lesson to me was like, oh, this is an easy decision to bring this person on once we had that team conversation and you could see, you know, very interested in learning new things and, and progressing personally and to help speak out. Uh, is there anything like specific about being curious about any specific like tech or uh, just a general kind of, I'm just a curious type person? General, but like, you know, some people, for example, they learn a, a technology, they learn a language, they just stay in that. That's their wheelhouse and their comfort zone. You know, for her specifically, I mean, it's not a huge, huge jump, but it's moving from React to Angular. Uh, and, you know, in a way, there's some new things to, to learn there. And then additionally, just like her, you know, for her to be able to have sort of the back end sort of experience, you know, databasing and stuff, but then also good experience on the front end. Also, every task. Being a full stack developer, it allows you to have the perception or the perspective of every task you're doing. You're thinking about both the front end and the back end perspective. So it ends up as a better, better building that you're doing. And there's obviously merit to specializing in front end versus back end, but at the size that we are and the kind of help we need, it's really nice to have someone who has both of those mindsets as they're as they're putting something together. Nihal, uh, you went through the hiring process here at Speak. Is there any, uh... Uh, questions or concerns or uh, things that you would want to see improved or just from like your outside perspective into the company? Hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I, I do remember the first, I'm not sure what the uh, follow-up email was this time around, but I do remember the first time uh, Tyler sent me a, an email basically offering me the job. I, I was unsure as to whether I, <laughs> whether I got the job or not, because he basically said something to the extent of, um, you know, let me know how you'd like to proceed. And I'm like, with... I would like to have a job. Yeah, exactly. It was like, with what exactly? Um, that was the one. But I, I think he's he's gotten a lot better at, uh, at just getting, <laughs> being like, hey, you got the job. Um, as for the questions, I, I, found, I found maybe... Um, you know, th there is obviously merit in someone, someone's curiosity and the way they communicate. But one thing, for example, um, I think we, this is more a positive thing. I think one thing we're used to, and it's a good thing, is that we we look past the lens of like, just pure, I guess, like comfort with English, for example, or like, you know, and just more about how people communicate versus being like, oh, they they use the wrong grammar or they use the wrong, like, you know, cause at the end of the day, as long as I can understand, or we can understand our teammates, that's all that really matters. Right. But I've, whereas I've been in like hiring um, processes before where, you know, like the number one thing was, Oh, I, you know, their English didn't seem like the strongest thing. And I'm like, okay, but they can do the job. Right. So <laughs> why does that matter? Uh, why does that matter so much? Right. It's a very uh, Eurocentric mindset that we don't have. And I think that's a, that's a really good, uh, really good thing i feel i feel that's just like when you every person is so brilliant and brings so much in their own way you know what i mean and and that's it that's a really sad thing to if you're going to overlook someone because of that um that that's just a disappointing thing and you're going to lose out on a variety of perspectives and probably some really intelligent raising people so i mean that's nice that's really actually nice to hear and didn't think of it that way but uh, cool cool, cool. And like most people who come with uh, like 
you know, not perfect English. They usually have some other language too to back that up. So exactly. It's yeah. not like just throw the baby with the bathwater. Like unless like all they could speak was English and they did a really bad job speaking English, then maybe yeah. there's something up there. But even that, it's like it depends on the job too. Like if you're a communications expert and you need to be talking, then you should probably talk well. But uh, if you need to like talk in a language when it's like a programming language too, like I'm more worried about you you know, being fluent in that than the actual, yeah. you know, the language that you correspond with. Can you understand JavaScript? Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> from, yeah, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I agree. Okay. Um, I guess any, any last things on this and then we can hop into uh, a topic from uh, Neil here. Good. Okay. Neil, let's do it. Sure. Um, let me see which one, maybe the easiest one, um, you know, setting the record straight on what we call ourselves. Is this the easiest one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the hope, right? Because <laughs> um, I feel like this is maybe something, especially as we scale, you know, things on, as, as maybe our control over our information starts, um, you know, growing, because as brand awareness grows and we meet with more people, um, how we kind of position ourselves is going to matter a lot more now um, than, let's say, during the conception of the company, right? Because now it'll basically enter your brand guidelines, whether that's for writing content, whether that's for sales messaging, um, when you're doing outreach, right? When you meet people at conferences, things like that, like what do you introduce the product as, right? And I know this is something we've maybe struggled with, um, but I guess if we were to, <clears throat> moving forward, if we were to stick with one thing, what would it be? And, and it's tough, right? Because it's like, okay, companies this, Software is this. Our branded term is this, right? Uh, and yeah, just just wondering your thoughts on on that. We did that audit with um, uh, OpenView Research, and we asked this question: "What do we people even call that?" Almost everyone he said refers to it as just speak. Um, the incorporation is speak AI. Um, the, the website domain is speakai.co. Uh, and you know, you know, I've, I've, I think I've lamented about this before, but the different variations of spelling, even that we get speak AI and how people refer to us. Nihal, I don't know the true answer. I, I broke it down of the, where the company is speak AI. I've always referred to the software as speak, um, at least tried to. Sometimes I maybe have mixed that up, and I'm guessing that's why you've asked that question today. Um, but company speak AI, product is speak. The only challenge is, I mean, with both Speak AI, the reason why we needed to do that was because you needed to have a modifier on the name to register it properly. And then with Speak, there's other, there's been other, not necessarily products, but companies um, in the past that have referred themselves to Speak. And I was even on a call earlier this week, someone reached out to us and said, oh, they really like what we're doing, love that you're doing, blah, 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 voice AI, blah, blah. Get on the call and I'm realizing he's talking about another company that was called like Speak Melody or Speak Music or something. You know what I mean? Like so, you know, just how, just refer. You know, that that's a challenge in itself. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to add there. It just makes me sad. Um, you know, I would like to like to nail this down. And it's it's almost been in a way as we've grown, and I think it's actually a challenge with growth. Sometimes it's like still have felt in this limbo zone of like if we've executed properly on the right name and brand and will this allow us will this allow us to get to the next level of where we want to take this business and as we start to do growth more at scale if we have inconsistency in branding and messaging what are the 
you know, negative consequences that. And truthfully, it's quite negative. Um, so in the end, I, what I hear though also is people like PKI, like they like saying it, it's clear what it is. Um, it's cool. You know what I mean? Like that part in general, people are accepted, receptive to, it's just that we don't have maybe the right domain and there's some, some, some cross, you know, some conflicts with the, the software name versus the company name. The first thing you said to me quickly, yeah. Nihal, was like, yeah. speak is not a good software name. Or like, I forget exactly what it was, but basically like, you know, good company, bad, bad, bad software. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just more the um, um, usage, right? Like when people, like based on how often people use speak as a word um, in just regular context, right? It's, it's not like something like, I don't know, like otter where I feel like at a certain point when you're talking about otter in a specific context, people would understand that you're talking about the app instead of the animal, right? Versus in the case of something just like speak standalone, I feel like it becomes a lot harder to, uh, to kind of, kind of get, break through that context barrier um, in a way. So I, I think to your point, even just the speak AI bit, right? Where it makes it a bit more clear that, okay, this is an AI or this is a software that, helps me do x um might be the way to go or at a certain point maybe it's just going to be time to you know put our creative hats on and figure out the next next direction of the of the company hopefully maybe hire someone who's smarter than us to do it uh with experience because that part i think is missing from a core level of our brand i laughed at a day i was in the app and they were like very white uh application and then like strong green buttons I was just thinking of, of our system, um, but and it was good. It was a big brand. It was a success. I can't I don't know why I'm blanking out on it, but uh, you know, overall, I just don't think any of us quite have the talent specifically for this. We've tried our best. We've done a lot of good stuff on our own, um, but at some point, you need to segment and say, "I'm not an expert at this," uh, and and let that go. Sorry, go look. Go ahead, one. An expert of what though? Of branding? Of coming up with a name? branding i would even say you know i've struggled from us i'm getting closer and closer but from like a purpose statement or a mission statement you know like there's the vision of what i want to accomplish and i think a lot of us feel aligned on that from a, a product standpoint but you know even you know neil you and i were in that conversation earlier this week you know it got a little intense and difficult at the time where it's like I guess as I, what I'm trying to say, I got to a, a, a deeper conversation with some people and they ask like, what is the mission or vision or what does the five, 10 years look like? And that'd be very crispy on those answers, both to say an investors, to any shareholders, but then also to customers and then also hiring our team members. So uh, Nibirita is coming on, you know, next week. She wants to be really clear on like, what am I contributing to? What mission am I supporting at my company? Uh, and that, if, if there's uncertainty in that, all of the things that we just talked about, customer adoption, talent acquisition, investors, it makes it much more difficult. So trying to make that really concise is going to be valuable for us uh, and just not even valuable, crucial for us as we move forward and are, are trying to be successful. Um, yeah. I, I guess uh, that kind of ties into like the next point around and I mean, unfortunately, Vatzel's not here for this conversation because I feel like he'd have, um, you know, he'd, he'd have his, his thoughts on this. But this idea of, you know, working on our messaging or positioning ourselves around this idea um, of 
you know, us being a valuable enterprise software versus, you know, just a run-of-the-mill SaaS software where um, obviously there's great self-serve sign-up SaaS software, uh, SaaS products out there. But I feel like a lot of the conversations we've had, a lot of our bigger clients, um, a lot of the deals that have kind of made us feel like, oh, this journey is worthwhile have generally leaned towards, you know, larger scale, enterprise scale. And, uh, you know, it, it lends itself to a different type of messaging, lends itself to a different type of sales approach, um, lends itself to a different kind of implementations approach, right? Um, there's a lot of things we need to consider when we go enterprise side that we don't really need to think about when it's more consumer or individual focused. So, you know, and I, I find sometimes there's still a bit of that disconnect maybe in terms of like, you know, the things we uh, write about, the things we talk to people about. Um, sometimes maybe there is like a bit of overlap between personal, um, like, you know, like personal interests and uh, what the product is um, and kind of just navigating that, right? Because I think there's a place for pure kind of corporate communications, like, business focused messaging and then there's space for i guess the aspirational or the um kind of just personal voice of you know our founders and our company as a whole so uh you know just general thoughts about maybe some struggles you've had kind of transition because when the product started um i'm not sure if enterprise focus was where it was maybe I'm not sure if that's where the focus was. Cause I do know, you know, when I came on some of the articles and like topics and how to's were centered around individual use, right. For uh, different use cases. So yeah, just, just wondering on some of your thoughts on that side and how we can maybe build a stronger pitch messaging vision statement that would speak to, um, <laughs> to enterprise clients. When we first tried, it was pretty much just whoever's going to give us money, let's direct towards them. <laughs> but uh, after a while, we figured out more along the lines of, I think it kind of turned more into software and then kind of got like a split between software and enterprise. So now it's a matter of, um, I don't even know. I think it's, I think we're still trying to put more emphasis on the software side of things. Like enterprise is more so um, whoever needs the help kind of comes in. I'm not really sure how much of our, efforts are towards actually like you know presenting ourselves as an enterprise solution and uh, i don't know maybe that's your opinion of uh what's your opinion on whether or not we're pushing hard enough on enterprise and you know announcing that i suppose um i, I guess part of it is just it's not to say there isn't overlap and we can't be our own voice when it comes to, uh, you know, dealing with uh, enterprise clients. But I think there is definitely dis uh, distinct differences between how you would, let's say, market and message to a general audience versus marketing and messaging, even on the sales side, when you're approaching enterprise clients and um, I guess larger scale contracts, which we do well. I just think um, it's maybe not documented or it doesn't like permeate every aspect of like our messaging. But like that, that's kind of my feeling where 
we still kind of teeter on this on this edge of it's great for just single user, but it's also great for enterprise. But you know, we haven't merged the two um, perfectly just yet, I guess. We almost barely even had uh, team management in our system. You know, there was a senior developer who helped us out. It was like, guys, you got to do this. And, and for literally a year, I don't think anyone even used that functionality. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh my God, we, we would have lost thousands and thousands and thousands, thousands of dollars if we had, uh, you know, had that put in. Um, you know, you, you prioritize very different things when you're like, as much as I've tried to, what's the word, like sell uh, the thief, you know, you, you have to do very, you prioritize very different things as uh, enterprise. Enterprise also is a scary word, right? But a lot of times people think enterprise, they think, you know, 2000 plus people. Or we could talk small enterprise here and say team of 50, even smaller than that is still, you know, like, but it's interesting things are prioritized a little different, but in some ways they're, they're similar. Like one of the things we've heard over and over again, especially with audio, video and text data is like security. Um, maybe the level of security requests are a little different. Maybe an individual, they want to know, hey, is my stuff encrypted? Yeah, you know, very important things. At an enterprise level, we've seen, okay, ISO, uh, SOC 2, you know, these large compliance levels for a, a, an enterprise company, especially bigger ones actually, um, adopt our, our system. And then the other thing I've seen here too is um, I look at a couple of companies recently. Uh, one of them, DeepGram. Another one, Symbol AI, just raised $17 million. Uh, you know, using, like building some of their technology that revolves around conversational AI and conversational intelligence and some of the systems that we have, they have gone very heavily into API first because they know that they're going to work with other developers to build out, and they're actually not really prioritizing, I would say the interface of the system. There's on both of those, it's minimal or non-existent. Um, and uh, that's another choice that we have to make. We spend a lot of time building up the front end of our platform. And in a way it's very valuable, um, but it tailors itself a little bit to a, a more consumer or smaller individual non-technical audience. And in some ways it's a, it, uh, what am I trying to say? In some ways, it's an, uh, an disadvantage. In some ways, it's an advantage because you get into a situation where, where a company is big enough. It's like, do we do we just buy? You know, do we do we buy a solution that exists, including one that is like Speak AI, or do we build it ourselves? And that's sort of the, the, the decision that's being made. There's a huge group of companies before that who who don't have the technical in-house capabilities or the budget probably to build the whole thing from scratch. We talked about this before, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars you could spend, hopefully not waste trying to build a solution that is the same uh, or you know, similar to ours. Um, in the end, what I'm hoping we can do, and I had a, talk, a chance to talk to someone from Amazon about this is they're continuing to try to take very advanced technology that was at one point only limited to PhDs and some of the best developers in the world and bring that down to non-technical people so they can use it easily. And that mission for us continues and will continue to grow both, I think, from you know, a smaller or individual side and um, from a company side. But I think until we accomplish a couple of things, like what we've had signals for this week, cheap, accurate transcription, good data visualization, um, we're not going to be able to even sell to either side uh, successfully.
Yeah, no, it, for sure. And um, it's interesting too on the side of, uh, I guess, customer adoption um, at an individual level uh, versus, let's say, selling to a C suite, which uh, I feel like there's always talks about, oh, like selling to C suite is the way of old, right? Like that now it's all about bottom up uh, adoption of technology. But I feel like for that kind of bottom up, bottom up approach in many cases, they're almost all exclusively, you know, products that started as freemium or free products that, you know, individuals that work at different companies would use. And then eventually it's like, hey, let's, let's pay, you know, X amount to just get our entire team on this platform, right? But to do that, like the amount of like just profit, right? Like once again, it's, it's the growth over being a profitable or sustainable business uh, from the get-go, right? And uh, sometimes uh, maybe bootstrapping and that don't necessarily, and you know, like a freemium model aren't always uh, the best ways to to get to where you need to be, right? Um, and I think it's something we've we've discussed many times, like even when we hop on some of these calls where sometimes we'll get advice that leans towards, you know, something that would work for a VC funded or person with like $10 million to just burn through. Right. But it's like, okay, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're still completely founder owned, which is almost unheard of <laughs> in this new, uh, new uh, VC generation. Um, and that, that comes with its own. Uh, find some challenges but like i remember you were you were on the call and one of the recommendations was why don't you just give them unlimited transcription you know it was like yeah yeah we, we thought of that you know like that would uh, we would be uh yeah so you know i think i guess this sort of weaves into you know one of the things that i was you know uh working on or sort of hacking away at this this week which was like uh I look, we look at the comparison, just of a company that's gone the other route, Otter, a company that people, um, you know, c- compare us to. And they, they mean they've raised an astronomical amount of money. Actually, you know, not their capital efficient team, and they make a lot of money, $50 million at least, I think probably about 75 million USD they've raised. And the reason they were able to do that, and the reason why, uh, you know, VCs are so, like this comes from the mindset and, uh, Michal, you've probably heard Noah Kagan talk about it, right? He had the famous moment sort of with Mark Zuckerberg where he's like, hey, we got to start making money. And Mark was like, no, it just wrote growth on the uh, on the whiteboard. Because the, the the knowledge there that's been established now is if you can build habits of use and the, and the more people come back and the more they spend time in your application and they, they, they're, they're, you know, they're retained in the application, you can figure out ways to monetize at that point. Um, Hopefully it's not by um, mining your data for personalized advertising, but we've seen even a switch from, from Otter here to say, like I found out, I forget someone who uses it was telling me that they removed a couple of features from the base plan, you know, and capped certain things. And so they're now making their small sort of inroads to monetize more effectively. But to do that, they made, you know, the upfront investment that we're gonna really you know, we're going to invest a ton into this feature recognition system. We're going to discount it almost 98% compared to other services and then eat up the world in terms of, you know, minutes transcribed and the amount of audio and video or audio that is then sitting in these systems. And then we'll figure out what to do after that. And people will just tell us what to do because all their files are in our system. So 
Yeah, that's like in diff- different strategies. Ones that I now know, I understand now. At the time, I didn't because I came from this very, I guess, maybe uh, limited, not limited mindset, but like, yeah, like come from a, a farm outside of London, Ontario with no real entrepreneurs and no, not seeing that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, how can I give away minutes at a, you know, at a maybe even an unprofitable rate? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, also from a like service background, right? I feel like yeah. when you're like, if you run an agency, for example, your, your success metric isn't how many clients do I have? It's, you know, how much money are they making essentially? So, um, it's, def- it's definitely different. Like it's still something I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with as well in terms of growth strategies and how, you know, what, what are the sacrifices you can reasonably make as a growing company um, without, you know, bankrupting yourself. So. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, we've talked about it before about opportunities with, for example, AppSumo, yeah. um, where, you know, it would have been a great opportunity and probably could have brought a thousand, maybe 2000 people in the system. And in some ways I'm like, ah, I just wish we had the, maybe the risk profile or the cash reserves to be able to execute on that and take that risk. And it's a, an experiment instead of a possible, uh, yeah, a business destroyer, um, you know, so, um, and then, yeah, Lauren, I guess, any thoughts on, on this? I mean, you're the, you're the number guys and you've helped us sort of crunch on where we are. I mean, we'll get into this very specific details, but like, you know, you've always had to had this balance between like, what do we charge per minute? What, you know, how valuable is our software? Like any, I guess, any thoughts on this or what you've learned throughout this journey um, and how we've sort of priced things? Um, well, I think we all have a general idea of like how we make money, I hope. Um, so I think we all understand that we just need um, either like if we're going on a software route, like either like a large amount of subscribers or if we're going on the enterprise route it's more like a large company that needs a great deal of work to be done with them or for them um i still think that you know just because of budget restraints there is a lot of like opportunity that we're missing out as far as like marketing goes and advertising we don't really put too much in there as much as uh uh we potentially should um but i think it's also just a matter of being creative with how we do advertising maybe just dumping cash into like facebook ads and google ads isn't the uh isn't the best way i'm sure like some point like that's you know you have to you have to spend a lot to get a lot back from there but um was it the app sumo deals that we're looking at and now we're kind of looking at the product hunt um like i think that's probably a better like use of like nihal's time anyways um i'm not sure like nihal you are the digital strategist so this is kind of like more so your wheelhouse do you think like um when it actually comes to uh, like focusing more on just like flat out advertising and uh, paid advertising and stuff like that. Um, like, what do you need? Do you think like the team is already set up properly? And like the mar- like our marketing department is properly composed enough to actually handle that kind of uh, that kind of outbound uh, advertising, or do you feel more confident and more comfortable, uh, you know, reaching out to like the the app sumos and the product hunts and stuff right. like that? It's, it's interesting because one thing that I've been trying to do as well for my end, right, and this is part of my learning curve, is shifting from, um, well, well, I guess to your question about, uh, you know, capacity and what we can do, right? Like, if, for me, I find it's always trying to figure out this fine line between execution and planning where, you know, e- even though I would love to spend more of my time kind of planning uh, and then... Uh, 
executing on or like working with people to execute on, um, I still need to do the execution part, which is unavoidable. We all do execution. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but as for setup, right, I think there are definitely limitations in terms of budget. And maybe this is just something I need to put forward as well as, okay, here's, here are the six channels. I think we should be, you know, putting some effort behind. Um, here's how much I think <clears throat> it would cost in terms of my time, as well as potential, you know, paid ads, uh, hiring someone, whatever it is, and seeing what that looks like. And also presenting what I think the expected outcomes of such an such a venture would be, right? Because um, I, I think, as you know, more or less the uh, sole marketer uh, on the team, it's like part part of my responsibility should also be to recommend um, initiatives as well as you know. I, I, I don't know if we have the budget for this, but here's what I think the budget for this would be or could be. And here's what I think we could do with this. Um, and that yeah. budget largely depends on like what the actual outcome is. Exactly. You can't 100% know what the outcome is until you sure. actually do it do and it. get an outcome. Mm -hmm. If it's all just uh, conjecture, if it's all just ideas, yeah. then there's not a lot of um, a lot of grounding to that. So exactly. I think it's good to do like lots of tests as well. Like yeah. we can't... Um, I'm not sure if like we can really extrapolate an outcome just from like small tests. I think that we do actually have to like do a dive in the deep end at some point and figure enough if, uh, you know, if we're going to swim or tread water or sink or, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's funny too, you know, like we had that conversation with the guys the other day and they were like, two, two things happen, right? If you're, you're a company and you take, say, say DC funding, you just have to spend that capital like as quickly and hopefully you know capital like as efficiently as possible and one thing you know i don't you know we've talked about that before but like feel confident is like you know if people give you know our team a million dollars we're going to maximize that million dollars as far as it can go and even from an advertising perspective it's like it's not like we're unaware of what works and doesn't work we can even look at you know basically search terms uh, and pages over the last, you know, two years and say, okay, these, if, every time someone types in, let's just, just throw a paid ad up because we know it's going to convert possibly 30% uh, on, on this. And so, you know, that, that confidence is there. It's just, you, you know, I guess, you know, Nihal, what we're maybe not quite there is great. We can get this sign up, but can we convert them to paid? And can we do that at a profitable rate? And that's what you really look at in terms of, not necessarily just product market fit stage. That's more like growth and scale stage. You know, where it's like, I put a dollar in, we get $4 back. I just need more money to do that over and over again. And I think, you know, some of the questions you've asked today are leading towards how do we, you know, get there. And, and from our perspective, what do we want to do? Do we want to go, you know, advertise, uh, you know, uh, say the embeddable recorder, and maybe we're going to get $99 a month, or do we want to go for, you know, uh, enterprise speech recognition API with sentiment analysis? Yeah, that's very specific, but, uh, and one, you know, maybe we don't get that many clicks. Maybe we get a hundred clicks, we convert one, but that project or that contract is hundred K. So those are also the decisions we're making, not just from a product standpoint, but from a, from a revenue generation 
um, piece. Um, I think what's interesting, yeah, to, to that point, sometimes it's also where can we, you know, with in, in terms of where your budget is your time, like, let's say you don't have more budget than like the entire budget is basically your time value, right? That's that you're putting in. What is the best long-term use of that time? Because there's many ways to get short-term results and short-term gains with, uh, you know, a whole, whole bunch of different marketing and PR initiatives that you can test out. But once again, it's just sometimes a matter of um, just the capital available to actually act on some of those initiatives, right? Like we could, there, there's definitely opportunities out there, like editorial opportunities. Um, but the big problem with a lot of especially targeted niche editorial opportunities, for example, is they tend to cost a fair bit of money. Right. Um, obviously, you can try to do things on the organic side in terms of pitching, like um, thought leadership pieces, just facts. But that in itself is almost separate branch of the kind of <laughs> full uh, flywheel of marketing you could do. So, I, I think what was interesting was I was reading, you know, this whole idea of at this point every company should think of themselves as a media company very very simple 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 i'm simplifying that but the whole idea being um if you can establish yourself with engaging content whether that's video content uh, written pieces and generally just prove yourself to be a competent source of information support for your customers that will provide you with almost unlimited opportunities, right? Or, and very focused opportunities for people looking for very focused solutions because um, paid ads in general are usually very haphazard, right? It's, it's just like haphazard, haphazard. <laughs> like it's, it's very much just, okay, we're going to throw 10 grand at 200 keywords and then whittle it down, right? Versus like when you create a lot of owned media, um, it's very much, here's our company ethos here's what we're trying to help people do and we are the best people um, to help you achieve your goals right um how to build that you know it involves some of it involves a couple skill sets i don't currently possess um but i would love to explore those options at some point um is there any schooling for those skill sets that you'd want to possess or Oh, I mean, I mean, a lot of it is just more on the creative side sometimes, right? Like, for example, the um, when you look at a couple of the people uh, or companies in the space, right? Like their video production, for example, is like on point, right? Um, and it, it's it's not that it's professionally done, but a lot of times the people making that content generally have um, some background in video production or have, you know, spent time teaching themselves video production, whatever it is. Um I, I, I think I feel like I maybe didn't get the chance to bring this up last time, but there's this company from Montreal called uh, Midday Squares, uh, and like uh, one of my like uh, friends from university works at them now, and their entire play. I mean, now they, I don't know, like they're valued at like a couple hundred million or like fifty million or something. Like they had like a buyout offer from Hershey's, they turned it down, blah blah blah. But their entire ploy, and obviously this is a consumer good but they brought an in-house video production team to basically document their entire journey from you know uh, our kitchen to building our own factory to you know going from 50 bars sold to 
hundred million bars sold or whatever, whatever the number is. Um, and that in large part has played towards the growth of their company because now people have an attachment to the founder, right? The founders and the company and the people that work at the organization and they're vouching for their success. And I feel like that really just comes from showing the people behind the tech, for example, in our case, right? Uh, the people behind the tech, why we're doing this, not just to make a crap ton of money, but to actually help you, you know, achieve your various professional and I guess at a, hopefully at some point personal goals as well, right? So just just some some things I've been I've been pondering. So you want to come when Vatsal gets back or you want to come over and film? Uh, <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get a nice like camera. Yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, it, it, not that, like you said, it's sort of a media company, but it's also so many people, everyone likes to see, uh, not necessarily, not a comeback story, but just a journey. I like to follow the journey of growth. And, you know, and then it's also amazing when you see it done transparently um, so that you also see the challenges too, you know, cause it's, it's, sometimes it's not fun when it's all just following polished successes. Um, it's, it's nice to see the, the challenges that come along with everything. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, I mean, we try to create media or video production is obviously not good. It mostly consists of me standing here doing screen chairs. Um, but, uh, you know, even our little efforts here at these office hours, I know have actually in a small way paid some dividends for, um, you know, uh, where we are today and even one of the reasons why you're here in the hall. So, uh, you know, that, that, that is good. We're, we're coming up, we're coming up on time here. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to chat about before we, uh, close this out? Oh, I was just curious about your opinions on this whole multiverse thing or metaverse rather. Metaverse. Yeah. Does anybody know anything about it? Does anybody care uh, about it? Or? Yeah. I mean, like, are you talking about it in terms of the general concept or with respect to Facebook's hijacking or, or trying to hijack the the term and the I uh, guess like the well is there something is there something about the metaverse like beyond Facebook is this like something yes. that people were building and then Facebook kind of stole it kind of like I, I think Facebook basically I mean a they're trying to just distract from all the like there's the shit storm they're currently in um that, that's mm -hmm. number one but stuff yeah like, yeah, the privacy stuff, the like whistleblower stuff, like all that jazz. But I think the other part is uh, people in, I guess, the kind of virtual currency and virtual economy and NFT world, right? Like it's it's something, I guess, that dedicated community built out. And then now, I mean, whether I agree in the value of it or not, I feel it's secondary to the fact that there are people out there that see value in it. Right. And it would be kind of ignorant of me to dismiss that. Um, mm -hmm. But whether, I, you know, there, there's definitely just unfounded hype around certain concepts and certain, um, certain things that people, I guess, are putting value into. And I do know there's a whole like theory, you know, that, and I'm sure it's true that there's just, you know, like a 10, 15 whales just driving this entire trend, right? So they can just milk as much money as possible out of it. Would you say um, those whales are? <laughs> who are they? I mean, Musk is definitely one of them. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, but I'm, I'm sure there's there's people out there that, uh, like there's some guy from, I was reading an article recently about some like guy from India who's like a metaverse 
art king or something, right? And he basically he basically pulled a Bernie Madoff, right? Like where he scammed a whole bunch of investors out of like millions of dollars, right? Yeah, for um, what? How do you do that? For, for like NFTs and oh. NFT art and things like that, right? Um, yeah, I don't know, Tyler. You look like you were. Uh, I just, you know, it's funny, like Facebook, you know, the challenges with privacy, but then they, you know, delve and jump fully into. And one thing I'll say is they've gone, they've made a pretty significant investment in, in it. But like, you think of our privacy now, now think of yourself hooked up into a system where they're tracking eye movements and how you're interacting with virtual spaces. Like, you know, if we were already in a privacy nightmare, it's only gonna accelerate it further uh, with what, what is about to happen. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that a lot of the metaverse stuff, they actually believe is still gonna be very work focused. It's gonna be, you know, like we, we I forget we used it before, Vasa set it up for it uh, the one time, but we all were in the room uh, we were in like a virtual room and there was whiteboards and things like, you know, it, I think the closer that people are now going to, with the remote world, virtual first world that we're living in, um, you know, we're going to just continue to see this until it, it, until it becomes practical and has like, I guess, as sad as it is, maybe like ben business benefits and, and enables that, um, there's still going to be a gap for adoption because otherwise it's just sort of fun and games, which is always important. Um, but I got, you know, we have two Oculus Quests in this house right now, and I use them for a bit and have not put them back on again because there's no real use for me to, to do that besides having fun. And guess what? I don't like to have that much fun. I like to work. You know, I like to do the stuff that we're doing. So I think there's going to be a significant gap in adoption and still a lot of jumps from the technology. But last part is like Mark, his old Zucky there, he said, uh, the greatest challenge of this generation is to print the power of a computer inside, inside a normal looking pair of glasses, you know? And so that's the goal that he wants to uh, accomplish. And he will accomplish that as much as people don't like him. That guy does not stop. And that army at Facebook does not stop until they get it figured out. So we will see that that happen. I just think it's so funny how they still put someone that literally understands so little, but I guess like human interaction, like he, he, he's obviously a master of understanding human behavior. But his actual interaction skills are so like underwhelming um, that I'm, I'm surprised. I feel like he's probably a bit power hungry too, where he doesn't want anyone else to be the face of the company, right? Like he, yeah. um, even have, when have it's covered in suntan lotion. Do you see the Iceland verse advertiser? No, no, it's brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll share it in chat. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you have Lauren, I guess, any other things you're curious about? I mean, neither, I don't think, none of us are experts on it here, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, there's also just that idea that some people are talking about of just like, we're just rebranding what is the internet. You know what I mean? It's just the internet, you know, it's not, it's nothing different. We've just got us some, some tools that augment that even further. Um, so we see hype cycles go and, and, and sometimes they're founded and sometimes they're not. I do believe, you know, no matter what, we are moving into a more virtual world. Um, and, and they, they're capitalizing on that in an intelligent way, but there's going to be a lot of challenges as we try to get there. Yeah. It's kind of related, <laughs> kind of related back to our old uh, discussion on branding and stuff. I feel like the whole meta, like the whole rebranding of the actual like corporate name, that's probably just for some sort of stock um, pump scheme, but who knows? Um, I'm just worried about like 
the power grid. That sounds like it's going to take a lot of energy to put all that fucking technology. Sorry, I'm swearing, but all that technology up in the one episode <laughs> up in front of everybody. So I don't know. One last thing that was really interesting at the psychedelic conference they talked about is people are trying to blend psychedelic uh, use with um, uh, virtual reality experiences. And they talk about like the neuroplastic state that your brain is in after you take psychedelics. And then people are they're putting them directly into VR or they're even in VR in the psychedelics. And it's actually um, capable of creating like body dysmorphia because like you can't even map your hands properly in VR. So now people are on like powerful substances and they're all of a sudden their arms are not reflective on their hands. So there's a lot of challenges with how accurate these systems are for reflecting, you know, how we are spatially or how our body should be represented. And even one of the core concepts of VR is that term uncanny valley, where it's like, we are not capable of making someone look lifelike yet. I mean, NVIDIA is getting very close. I don't know if you're following some of these game engine stuff. It's mind blowing, but like it's called uncanny value is as, as long as you push, if you try to push the human like appearance and you don't accomplish it fully, it actually creates a sickness in our body. Like it, it, it makes us revolt. Uh, it's a, a very um, revolting feeling that we get. And that's why in a lot of VR games, they actually go for very um, cartoonish like characters because it doesn't create that reaction um, and sort of fear uh, in the body. And just generally people are still like, we haven't figured out how to travel in VR. You, you need to, you, you, like, you need to have those walking treadmills or that's why in games you have to teleport because people will get motion sickness very, very easily because we just haven't figured this out. So um, there's a lot of challenges here still. Uh, it's very interesting. And like, I had that experience with Half-Life in the VR game that was like truly like revelatory uh, of how close we are getting in some ways, but still how, how far we have to go. Oh, um, we're good. Um, you know, I didn't quite get to it. I have maybe just one minute here. Like, so I've got this, I've got a pitch next week about 12 angel investors. Um, you know, Nihal, you've been part of some very interesting conversations here lately. You know, Lauren, you follow this journey. I've got some good feedback along the way. I guess just any insights, any recommendations, anything for me to think about over the weekend as I probably take a little review of our slide deck and then also uh, prepare to try to make a very crispy, I mean, 10 minutes angel investors, an audience that we like coming from a really nice friendly source um, you know, how do I execute successfully on this? Take some time away from it. Because if you're just thinking about the same thing over and over again, your mind's going to get very uh, stable or stale. Um, so just take a break and live some life. And something that makes you happier. Like or something. I love working with hippies. That's uh, always been a always a benefit. <laughs> Yeah, like, like I, I mean, there, there's validity there, right? Like, for example, like you've obviously completed a pretty big uh, personal milestone recently, but like, have you taken time to like celebrate it? For example, right? Mm -hmm. um, which I think is is important. Otherwise, you will probably start resenting the journey at some point. Right? <laughs> um, but, but more specific to the um, pitch, I suppose, is you know, look from some of our conversations, like the one thing that i think st st stood out is for example if uh, i'm sure talks of valuations and stuff won't come up but just in that same vein um you know it was how do you i guess position yourself in terms of obviously your story um why your product is valuable and then if needed you know how do you weave things like your metrics your sweat equity 
like the product roadmap and, you know, ultimately the business benefits um, that you are hoping to integrate into various workplaces and why should that get these angel investors excited about taking that um, opportunity, right? And once again, it's phrasing it away from them taking risks. It's more, here is the opportunity, Um, you know, here are examples, let's say, of successful companies that have entered the space and here's how we are better than them, right? And, you know, if you want to hop on this, on this uh, ride, you should, you should get in as soon as you can, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Play more to, if this is like your first meeting, then uh, do as car dealers do, play more <laughs> to emotions than logic and numbers. Exactly. Yeah, no, we've got, I mean, those conversations without naming names have been very insightful. I actually had a call with the guy after yesterday. So we're going to do a, a jam session on Monday in person here and hopefully set even that, that up for success. But some really beautiful things around, uh, yeah, even if you're doing comparisons, how to do that in a good way, you know, versus a, a bad way. Um, and even the phrasing that you just had, is pretty tight phrasing, you know, it's opportunity, this opportunity is coming to an end very quickly. There's a lot of interest. We're only going to allocate a, a small amount, but mm-hmm. we'd love to have you on board. Let us know by the end of next week. If not, um, you know, hope to see you in the next round. Kind of, you know, like that, that is so much tighter than what, you know, uh, that what is, you know, what I mean, personally, what I've been doing in the past. And when you hear someone say that after they've had experience raising, you know, a significant amount of money, like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that uh, I agree, though. I think, you know, the last couple of weeks have been a lot, like between Miami and now this week, both personally and professionally, it's been a lot of information. And I haven't really had that time to process a lot of things. So hopefully you're going to get some time this week. You know, still, I feel it. And like, it's just continue, even though there's still challenges, it's like I, every week I still get even more confident, you know, and that, that, that feels good. It's not at the end of the week, I'm going, oh my God, you know, this is, this, we're on the wrong path here. I get more excited that we get closer every day. So thanks again for being part of that journey and I uh, look forward to hopefully, uh, you know, um, some, some more, more progress on that front. Also, I watched some of the uh, Miami, the last office hours back and I was, I was, I was on minimal sleep, you know, so <laughs> I was looking at my face <laughs> during the picture. I'm like, oh my God. So I'm glad I'm fully rested here this week, but uh, thanks for bearing through that. Okay. All right. You guys are good. That's all right, sir. Have a good yeah, beautiful. Hope, hope to see, uh, hope to see some more people in the office hours next week and uh, excited for uh, a, a great week. Guys have a great weekend and thanks to everyone who, uh, who tuned in. Mike.